Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me. This is episode 12 of the Parent Teacher Podcast. My name is Casey. I'm your host. Um, I do this show in the hopes that it, it, it will help anybody who is trying to get kids to successfully adult one day. Um, my niche has been kind of a twice exceptional um, population, but really these things apply for anyone. And I just hope that teachers can benefit from some of these topics and parents can know some questions to ask um, and I can share some strategies and get some perspectives. So um, that is what I bring you. You can find links uh, regarding the topic or the guests for today in the show notes on anchor.com and you can also find more information about me and my services um, and you can reach me directly at my website which is reorientedadvocacy.com. Today we are talking about transition planning. Um, We'll be talking about that especially for people with autism and I'll be talking to Tom Island who is an author and um, also has autism and I'm really excited to have him and thank you for joining me. So I'm at a conference a few weeks ago and I don't really know a lot of people So I'm scanning the room and I see a guy kind of staring ahead and uh, there's a few women talking next to him, but he didn't look engaged and I'm, I'm really pretty extroverted. So I sit down and talk to him and um, find out that he has co-authored this book on transition planning, essentially, although I think Tom would call it self-discovery about how to help kids with autism identify what it is that they want and what they're good at um, so that you know, they can lead fulfilling lives. So how great is that? And then Tom tells me that he has autism. Um, and so, you know, by somebody for somebody is always a really great thing. So, um, yeah, I asked him to come on and talk to me today about it. And I asked him to tell how he found himself actually in, in the position where he's speaking at a conference to train people on this. The short version. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. First of all, Casey, it's really nice to talk to you and share my uh, wisdom as a person with autism with uh, educators and parents, other allies, as we call them in my book, to help people with autism and other learning differences. So, uh, shortly after I got my diagnosis when I was 13, I basically had a goal in life that I knew I was good with numbers and I liked Star Wars and I wanted to be George Lucas's accountant. And I set that into motion. I went to college, I got my bachelor's degree in accounting and got a CPA license, worked for Disney right out of college. And Disney actually acquired Lucasfilm after I left the company. So retroactively and indirectly, I did accomplish my goal of being George Lucas's accountant. Not many people can say that. (laughs) Not a lot of people can say that. It's how I saw my circumstances. And I stayed in accounting for seven years after I graduated and I found myself becoming more and more unhappy in that environment, sitting at a desk all day, crunching numbers, and not really feeling like I was really making a difference in the world. And at the same time, I saw and heard stories of my peers crashing and burning in adulthood because they were not knowing themselves, what they were good at, and where they can improve. They were not loving themselves, being in denial about their diagnosis, or hating the world and themselves for it, or not being themselves feel like they had to change or be changed instead of being authentic to themselves 
So four years ago, I took a big leap of faith and put in my two weeks at a very well-paying accounting job. And now I do professional speaking. I tell my story on stages. I recently expanded into human potential coaching. So I sit down with people one-on-one and ask them questions to find out the source of what they really want and how to make it happen. And I'm also beginning to approach uh, corporations and businesses in America about the benefits of hiring people with autism and other learning differences so that diversity and inclusion needs are met. And I feel like I'm really reaching people on a personal level and making the difference that I wanted to make. And as I found out that transition was something that people with autism struggle with the most, and I've had my share of struggles in that, I wrote a book with my mother called Come to Life, Your Guide to Self-Discovery in order to prepare young people for transition. And when we ask young people questions like, what do you want to do? What are you good at? And then they say, I don't know. Before you know it, we start guessing and assuming what they want. And then young people are living a life that's not theirs. And then their life starts to go downhill because of that. Yeah. And I also, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think I'm going to, I'll tack on here. That's one of the challenges, I think, particularly when you're dealing with a disability where so many people struggle to communicate Um, because we're sometimes only able to provide these choices that we're thinking of. And that is what makes it so difficult, you know, to to get it right. And I don't think um, your experience as a career changer is unique. I think people with any type of profile can identify with um, finding yourself in something that maybe you're good at, but you don't love. Um, and so what I think I love most about your book is how it uses metaphors and visuals and analogies. And I think it makes this effort to pull information out by making it concrete. Um, because otherwise we find ourselves, like you said, you know, do you want to be this, this, or this? <laughs> and that's just too too narrow a range of choices. So, um, how I, can you give me um, some examples, maybe, of some of those allies or like good intentions, but now you have a better understanding or something you learned with some of your allies about transition planning? So, my first and greatest ally was my mother. And she still is involved in my life in many ways to this day because she explained my diagnosis to me and made me feel like I could be accepted or there was hope for a better future. And I also had uh, younger siblings. I still have the younger siblings and they're uh, starting their own lives in different parts of the country, but we still talk and are in communication with one another. I also have had uh, certain uh, teachers. I've had speech therapists. I've had transition specialists. I've had job coaches, I've had martial arts instructors, I still have uh, speaking mentors to help beef up my public speaking skills. It really does take a village. Uh, There was a time, particularly when I left high school and went off to college, I thought, I'm on my own now or I have to do things by myself. But the truth is, independent living or finding your independence is not about being by yourself or doing it alone. It's about being in charge of your life. So you're in as we call it, come to life, the driver's seat. So you decide where you're going and how to get there, or maybe you have someone feeding you directions, like a navigator, so that you can go where you want. And there are too many young people in the world today taking a back seat to their life, just 
along for the ride, not really caring where they're going, or maybe not even having a say in where their life goes at all. Yeah. And that's what's causing their poor outcomes, or they have difficulty taking that leap into a ne- the next step. Mm-hmm. And the reason the book is called Come to Life is you can't wait for life to come to you. It's up to you to come to life. That was one of my biggest epiphanies I had when I first entered college, that I had to start making things happen. I couldn't just sit back and wait. Yeah. I, if I saw something I wanted, I had to go get it. You know, so I, 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 love, I love the car analogy a lot, and I've kind of expanded on it a little myself because I work with a lot of kids, and I'm like, this is one we could do a whole other podcast on people using the term high-functioning autism because I don't love it. But I do work with a lot of kids who academically, you know, on tests, um, on these concrete tasks, perform really, really well. And they have great vocabulary. Um, And I know that you you do address this in a few different places. I can direct people to some resources. Um, However, um, sometimes I feel like the teachers are throwing those kids in the driver's seat. And they've never even taken driver's ed. And they're, they're on 9094 in Chicago. And they're terrified, you know, and they're shutting down. So I like this analogy of the car. Because I also feel like that lends to that self-awareness, that self-discovery of like, how do you feel when you're in the driver's seat? How do you feel when you're in the back seat? Do you, if you're in the passenger seat, sometimes we're okay there. You know, I think even as an adult um, now, there are times when I want someone else in that driver's seat. So just having that awareness. I love that it's a really good example of a way that you've taken a kind of an abstract idea and made it concrete and just so easy for anyone to go back to and, and use and understand. So that's a good one. <laughs> well, thank you. And yeah, I really hope that it is something that people can embrace. And mind you, you don't have to actually physically drive a car to drive your life forward because if you mentally think of yourself as in charge or if you're letting other people decide where your life is going that's going to make a huge difference in your your life your sense of freedom your pursuit of happiness and as uh, we think about some of the parents or the therapists or anyone else who might underestimate the capabilities of young people or think oh this kid's going to be in the back seat forever or I might as well accept that but that's a poor outlook and outcome to that situation and I think what I really was put on this earth to do was to help people find their sense of empowerment so that they can take their life where they want to go instead of yield to someone else all the time or think I'm hopeless I'll just give up entirely mm-hmm. I, think we can, I think we can do better yeah I agree I've, so you're you're pretty good at self-advocacy at this point you're pretty good at knowing yourself but I'm sure it's a process for everyone. And one, um, one other thing I think that it can be really hard to understand is um, the, the piece that's like self-monitoring and self-regulation um, that you talk about at one point in the book, um, there is no um, do or do not, what, what is it? No. Sorry. It's the uh, Star Wars. Not, there is no try from Yoda in Star Wars, yes. <laughs> right. Do or do not, there is no try. Um, however, I feel like even that concept of like, did I do it or didn't I? And that self-monitoring piece is something that at first we need to practice. Like we need some support around people. So um, what are some ways that uh, you can, I guess, open up feedback 
Like, did anyone ever rate you or give you feedback during this process? How did you learn about yourself through other people? What was helpful for you? Okay, so so the first part of my mantra, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, is knowing yourself. And Aristotle said that knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. And this includes knowing about your diagnosis and how it affects you. So, for instance, there was a time where I couldn't, you were talking about self-monitoring, I couldn't sense when I was too hot. In sixth grade, I'm here in Los Angeles, it gets to be about 100 degrees some days. I was wearing about maybe three or four layers of clothes in a hot classroom. I actually passed out right there in the classroom. It didn't occur to me, I'm sweating, I'm starting to smell, I better take off some these coats. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will ask me questions like, Tom, aren't you hot? Or you look like you're sweating bullets take off a sweater or something so I get that prompt uh-huh. but now I'm to the point where I know when I'm cold or I I think I actually have a higher core body temperature than most so I could be outside in like 60 degree weather wearing like a t-shirt someone like my mother will ask Tom aren't you cold I'm like no I'm not but thank you for your concern right but it's an ongoing process really knowing yourself because as people and particularly as I went into speaking Toastmasters is an organization I'm part of, and every prepared speech given in a Toastmasters meeting has an evaluator. So someone will come up and talk for two or three minutes about the speech. Mm -hmm. They always start with what was good about the speech, what was positive, what was something that they took away from the speech, what really added value to the speech. But also every evaluation, this could be difficult for people with and without autism, there's constructive criticism, feedback on I observed you were a little bit shaky up here. I suggest maybe finding your footing or finding a place where you can stand still and really feel like you are situated, confident that could help you be a little less shaky. So even things that we don't even think about until someone else sees it or brings it to our attention is something that will allow us to become our best selves because I've been evaluated many times in these Toastmasters environments and outside of Toastmasters environments. And I and being open to what other people have to say because I realize I don't have to have all the answers. There was a time I thought I had to be perfect, mm. that if I was wrong, that I was stupid, or if I didn't have all the answers, I was stupid. Mm-hmm. But re- but even Albert Einstein, who was believed to have had autism, asked questions, and he made mistakes, so I don't have to be perfect. Mm. So I realized that I have to be open to what others have to say. I have the final say, the final decision, but hearing all the information to make the best educated decision for myself has really helped me advocate for myself and know myself even better. Yeah. Um, so one thing I think I come back to uh, more and more often is the importance of us not making decisions for students, but always this, I call it backward planning for adulting, right? And we know that it's a process to get in a place where, um, well, for all of us, I'm like, I'm sometimes on my cell phone way too late at night. So I have some issues with self-regulation and always will. Um, But there's one other thing that you have in there where you break down. um, It's the uh, scale. It looks like the one when you go into the hospital and they ask you how much pain you're in. And, and I always look at that scale and kind of laugh because I, I just think that everyone feels it differently. It's so hard to pick. I don't know. Like maybe if somebody hit me and then said that's a three, then I would know. You know, and then if they really hit me hard and that was a six, like that would make more sense. But it's it's still 
you know, it's still kind of abstract. Um, and so I think that it's helpful when we're talking to teachers to use um, some sort of a concrete rating scale, you know, in class, if a kid is having trouble doing their work or if it's not complete, that you not only give them the, the spoken feedback like you're talking about with, um, with Toastmasters, but also some sort of a score. And then because the goal would be then that the student could then choose like a score for themselves, you know, two did great, one pretty good, zero, uh, needed help. And I've been, um, I've always surprised when teachers talk about a problem with a student and then I say to the student, well, what are we gonna do about this? They always have a plan, you know, and it's, and it's not a perfect plan, um, but I, I always feel better like taking their plan and then saying, yeah, and how about, so there's some improv for you too, like, yes, and, yes, and, <laughs> and let's do, you know, this part too. So, um, yeah, I think the, the number part of it, the binary part, I go back to, um, and I wonder if you've observed any other things uh, recently, as, just as an adult, I'm like, sorry if I'm catching you off the spot, but do you ever see situations like that where you're like, geez, I'm not sure. Is there anything we could be breaking down a little, a little more, do you think? Well, I would definitely say that you were mentioning like creating a plan and it should be a plan that both the student and the teacher or the uh, adults agree with and it will be used and respected. So I'll give an example uh, in our family or my family, we had a term where I would say whenever I need a conversation to stop or need a, a break, I would say the glass is full and I'll give you the background behind that. So you have a glass, that's how much you can store or process at any given moment information is water you pour into the glass it gets more and more full you can only process so much at the but when it gets full you can't do any more you can't think straight or focus but think of all the lectures that students have to sit through their glass could have been filled up five minutes ago and you're wondering why they're overreacting or melting down because you keep pouring <laughs> overflowing making a mess mm -hmm. the information is not being retained and they have no coping mechanisms to say stop please <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm just. So whenever my fam in my family, whenever I just tell people enough, I say the glass is full. Yeah. And my mother will back up and shut up. <laughs> yeah, because it's just not going to help. It's done. It's and we I talk about that a lot because I work so much in executive functioning, and we talk about the amygdala and like once you get dysregulated and you're in fight or flight mode, there's nothing productive happening mm -hmm. at that time. Um, I often. Another tip I think I would give this to both parents and teachers is that when you have a kid whose glass is getting full on a pretty regular basis, then if that kid can write or if that kid can verbally reflect, one strategy I love using is um, telling them go and vent and rant and, and tell the whole story. And boy, they'll come out with like every social interaction that led to anxiety all the way up to that moment or maybe it is a sensory thing you know maybe it's noisy um and sometimes it's um you know the teacher you know the teacher hates me and they did this and that and then it can be interesting to come back to it when the glass has had time to empty and look again and say hmm do you still think this is true because sometimes like the story in the head isn't even true 
And the other thing we can learn from it is what were all of these events that led up to that moment and how can we avoid or get a skill in place to cope with it in the future? So maybe, maybe good advice for us adults as well. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. And I, I know you may not always be responsible for how long classes last or you have to get so much information in, in a short period of time, but people with autism, information processing is inherently difficult mm -hmm. for people on the spectrum so for them to have all the information or may not be able to keep up and being able to calmly say that can we stop or take a break is challenging for them and as i've been using the glasses full metaphor ever since i was maybe about 15 16 so 20 years and it's kind of evolved over time i've started to give my mom more i i, I only use it with my mother Mm -hmm. or in the family. I don't use it outside right. of the household. I would say some lines of, is it, would it be all right if I use the bathroom or to take a break or something? Because the glass is full won't make sense to people outside the walls. But but I still use it with my mother because there are times where she will overload me and I will give her warnings like, the glass 95% full, <laughs> silence advised. Yeah, no, that's a really... Walking, she might shut up, but she's been warned. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think um, I think all of us can understand that, especially with mothers. Um, but also, I think the other thing you bring up that's so important is how how important it is that even while we're giving kids these metaphors and analogies, to think about generalization because they obviously can't unless the the science teacher is in on it. They can't tell the science teacher, "I feel like I'm in the back seat on my project right now." Um, so anticipating that, you know, we'll have to talk about generalization or share that background information with people. Um, that's part of that's part of what makes the, the thinking so different, you know, and it unless there's a, a plan to teach it. So, you know, then you're there's just a lot to keep in mind, isn't there? There's a lot to keep in mind. But but even though there's a lot to keep in mind, there's such a huge, huge opportunity for every every kid to do something that they're not only good at, but that they like and that they've had some choice in. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it, it takes a long time, I think. And it takes the right There's approach. There's a, a, lot a lot of trial and error. And, and even speaking from my own experience, I thought accounting was what I was gonna do for the rest of my life until I was actually given, I'd gotten all the degrees and the certifications and the experience only to discover, okay, this maybe wasn't what I had in mind. and. I think, again, I, I keep referring to people with autism because I have it and I have the most experience with it, but in the book, Come to Life, we talk about exploring, experiencing, and evolving, because a lot of times people with autism have difficulty with that abstract thinking, imagining if or what a, might, a situation might be like. They have to actually get their feet wet, be in that environment that they dream about or they think is what they want to do before they can make that decision and I like to use the example of a video game designing we have kids who like to play video games they think I want to design these and play these for the rest of my life but then if we can actually expose them to an office or an environment where the video game designers are and have an idea of what work is done yes there's actual work involved then they could decide alright this is cool I'll go for this or then it could be a bit of a rude awakening but a necessary reality check that okay it's not all fun and games maybe I can go for this particular aspect of video game design or go for that. So we need to expose young people to what's out there for them. That's part of the exploration and getting experience so they can discover, I like this, this is working for me, or 
no, 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 I don't like that, or I want to avoid that at all costs. Right. Versus keeping them cocooned or thinking they want them out too much or saying what they like or what they have an interest in is stupid or is not going to yield anything for them. So yeah. there is a way where we can find that happy medium so kids or young people are doing what they want but making a successful, gainful career and life out of it. Yeah, and I think that the um, the key components to that I'm hearing from you are well, one, we want to expose kids to a variety, like really go in depth on a variety of possibilities. And often that's, it's time constricted, I think more than anything, but in transition planning, we shouldn't just be offering like the, the, the workplaces that have nearby internships available necessarily. Right. That could be really limiting. Um, and the other thing is that there is a need, I feel, for self-advocacy for every person. You know, if you um, know yourself well, then you may explain, and I do this frequently when I work with people, I have ADHD. So if they mention something to me, I'll say, oh, okay, good, yes, and I'll follow up on that, but you still need to email it to me because I won't remember <laughs> when I walk away. It's, you know, 50-50 if I'll remember. So I think that that's a way I advocate for myself um, that makes me feel more successful and makes people much less frustrated um, when working with me. Um, and so the other thing you brought up was, um, you know, things in the environment that they might have to avoid. And I think of avoidance in two ways. One is that sometimes it means we have to build a skill so that we can deal with whatever it is. And in other cases, we, we do just want to work around, right? So um, I don't think we really talked about the statistics on underemployment, um, especially for people with autism. And it's so good that I know you are advocating for, um, you know, some more inclusive practices. Um, I think this is uh, one of the, the big questions is, you know, how does that look? Are, are the employers changing the environment and kind of changing the tasks or the setup? Or is it people advocating for themselves? What are some of the big things happening? Well, a little bit about the background before I talk about what uh, approaches some companies are taking. So, like as you mentioned, it's unemployment and underemployment, uh, huge in the autism community. About 90% of people with autism have no job or aren't working enough hours to make ends meet. And a lot of times their diagnosis, mind you, autism is primarily a social communication disorder. And think of a job interview. That's socializing and communicating, holding a conversation, answering questions giving an idea of, or someone else rather, an idea of what you do or what you have done and who you are and what you can offer their company without seeming braggy or boring, mm -hmm. for lack of better terms. And there are some organizations that see the potential and the possibilities of people with autism but understand that interview process is, oh, is daunting, may not be. Oh, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. The interview process is daunting. It may not be the best way to bring out the talents in someone with autism. So I'll give you an example. I'm part of uh, an organization out here called the Uniquely Abled Project, or UAP, Uniquely Abled Project. This is an organization that has seen the benefits of people with autism with respect to uh, operating machines, using computers, their attention to detail, being very specific, repetitive work. So they are taking that and applying it to what's called computer numerical control or CNC machines and are giving these 
young men and, and women with autism jobs in CNC factories because of their unique set of skills. And these young people with autism are finding happiness and payment and being able to make these items. And these items are used on like airplanes and ships and such. And their interview process might comprise of, I made this in a CNC class. And they show that to the potential employer. They talk a little bit about something they did in a class. Mm-hmm. So there are organizations who are starting to be more open to processes other than interviews to see what people with autism can bring to the organization. On the other side of the coin, because I'm finding, particularly with my work with my mother and uh, police officers and other Mm -hmm. organizations, that it's a two-way street. We cannot just have all of the burden on one party, so the employer does all the work while the person with autism does nothing, or the employee with autism has to adapt to everything while the employer is not making accommodations. So both parties have to find some common ground some happy medium, have open communication so that way situations can be sorted out and both parties can benefit while still addressing opportunities for improvements. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to move into the summary, but I really, I can't think of a better way to summarize it than the way that you always present, which you're, I mean, really, because, and I'm like, maybe you can um, tell me if, if my thinking goes with yours. The know yourself is really the job that we're doing as students are younger. You know, that's really the time, hopefully, that we're, we're um, getting them to self-monitor and to identify, you know, what they're good at and maybe where they will need support. And I'm like, I still need support. I still need a bookkeeper. Are you kidding me? You know, um, so that's part of knowing yourself. Um, and then the loving yourself part is, you know, we have to, I think, expose people to what they love. Like you said, that blank slate, if I haven't seen it. Oh, I, yeah. You, if it hasn't happened to me, my mind is a blank page. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to give the, the viewers the context of that, when I was uh, in about fifth or sixth grade, I was asked to write an essay about life would, what would life be like 50 years from now? Mm. And I turned to my mother and said, Mom, if it hasn't happened to me, my mind is a blank page. So people with autism have difficulty imagining if or the abstract thinking and uh, empathy, taking on the feelings or imagining how someone else might be feeling if they haven't experienced what that person's actually going through. So as we look at people with autism, and it doesn't mean they're not capable of empathy. They're very much capable of taking on the feelings of others, but it helps if they have some context. Yeah. Remember when you felt yeah. this way when your dog died? Well, this person's dog just died. They're probably feeling those sad, awful feelings that you felt when your dog died. Right. Or like you have the superhero metaphor too, which I won't go too yeah. much into. But really, um, I think watching movies and anything in pop culture is just another example where you can relate one situation to another, give context, you know, so that's helpful. Um, the love yourself part too, I think of you and your, um, your career change and your building on strengths and also, uh, addressing areas of weakness, you know, or skill deficit, like Toastmasters, you've been incredibly dedicated in overcoming anything that was an obstacle. So not avoiding in all cases, but part of loving yourself is really, um, having that persistence and believing that, you know, your efforts have payoff, right? Very much so. And what I really stress in the book is that your love for yourself starts with you loving yourself. If you wait for others to show you love or that they'll accept you, 
it's not going to work. You have to love and accept yourself first and foremost. And that includes your diagnosis. It may not necessarily be good news at first, but at the very least you can find some answers or some optimism. It's like, well, I'm not dead, so I can learn from this. And I think we are starting to embrace diversity and differences a little bit more in this day and age. There are there still are some young kids who think different is bad and they'll pick on that person. But at the end of the day, you are the one that has to live with yourself and no one else will love you if you don't love yourself first. And a little bit more, uh, 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 not complex, but more advanced concept of loving yourself is establishing and enforcing boundaries. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I said yes to situations where I wanted to say no, or I wanted to make other people happy, so I let my happiness go down instead of saying I'm sorry I can't help you there but let me see if I can find someone who can or I legitimately didn't want to do something or like uh, spend time with a person when I'd rather be doing something else or helping other people's causes or careers or journeys versus focusing on my own Mm -hmm. so only fairly recently particularly when I became a Toastmasters accredited speaker and there are only 87 of them in the world did I discover how much I kind of faked it until I made it. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to really start being authentic and true to myself by establishing and enforcing those boundaries. And authenticity kind of transitions us into the be yourself part of the mantra of being who you are, not changing for others, but still being open to what others have to say and you making the decision based on that information. So this is where it gets a little controversial, a little bit tricky for people with autism because they may be closed off like no 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 I want to be me I don't care what you have to say but mm-hmm. if they don't let their guard down some way or at least hear what others have to say and then decide they could be missing out on a better life for themselves right right oh, I love and that I think you know I want to amend what I said where we work on this know yourself when we're younger I don't think that's true at all I think that this is a constant thing I'm like I've turned 40 this year and I'm still like um what what will I be when I grow up <laughs> and what it is very, very much an ongoing process yeah and also you know what boundaries do I need to draw to keep myself you know from my glass getting full before I get there so um I think you're going to be a really good coach because those are universal messages really Um, and so important and then you know to be able to bring your own um, perspective it's funny because you're talking about perspective taking and I think instead of empathy I think that they can be very different right Um, but uh, it's true for all of us that the people you're going to understand most are people who have or are going through similar challenges and have had um, you know experiences that overlap with yours so I'm just I'm really I'm really grateful that you have developed these really strong communication skills and these ways of making these ideas concrete, not only for people with autism, but really for all of us who want to work as allies as well. So, And I, I think it's essential if you can identify something that you struggle at, something you're not very good at in the case of autism, socializing and communicating and master so your weakness becomes your strength. Mm-hmm. That is something that can really help you become your best self. And when you really think about it, communication in every it exists in every culture. It's what makes us better people. We can commingle and 
have like mastermind two heads better than one four heads better than two and have that synergy of everybody being able to work with one another in order for everybody to benefit but in, rather than think that person can't communicate we write them off we don't include them in these processes that does them and us a disservice so we find a way to educate or coach them and hopefully they will be open to that process and learn something from it so they can bring something to the table and we all evolve and move forward together well you've given us an awesome set of tools um I don't usually like plug books right out, but honestly, it is. It's really good. Um, Tom's book, I will link in the show notes, of course. Um, you also brought up your mom. Um, I'm sure people can find information on that, too. She does, um, what is the name of her project with law enforcement? Can we plug that, too? Uh, my mother has uh, Be Safe, the movie. Okay. It's a video modeling curriculum to teach young people how to interact safely with the police. Okay. She also has the only empathy-based or rather, uh, the only, I, I know it'll come to me, I at least expect it here, the, uh, the only, uh, experience autism is a police train that is the only evidence-based, evidence-based police training on autism in America. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'm like, yeah, that so one's... Experience autism for training police, Be Safe the movie for training young people about police, and she also puts on events that have both parties meet each other and learn from one another. That's amazing. That's so cool. I'm sure she doesn't know what she wants to be when she grows up either because she's been a lot. And I think you too, you'll do a lot as well. So, well, um, I think that's about it. I think we'll, we'll wrap there. Thank you again so much. I'll be paying attention to what you're doing. We'll keep in touch and I'll have information. If anyone wants to um, learn more, is your website the best place to find you? It is. It's Thomas Island. That's T H. O-M-A-S-I-L-A-N-D. Yep. No S and Island. No S and Island. And I'm on all the major social media platforms, too, under the name Thomas Island. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom.